This brings us to our reading for the sermon this morning, our second reading, coming from 2 Corinthians. We're going to be reading over what we've read the past week um, to give us a framework for what we're going to hear for this week. So we'll be reading from verses 5 through to 10 of chapter 13. Two Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 5 through to 10. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that, not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you may, you may, sorry, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. That is why we write these things when I am absent. That when I come, I may not have to be harsh in the use of my authority, the authority God gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Here ends the reading. Caleb. Good morning. Sometimes my uh, kids will bring home something from school, something they've made or uh, a project they've done, and I've noticed a, a curious thing, because they seem to have no trouble to stand there and listen while I tell them like how, how good it is and how much... Uh, They've, they've done a good job. Even if I talked for non-stop for five minutes about it, they'd still happily stand there. But strangely, it seems other times when I have to mention something that they've done that was sinful, maybe they've mistreated one of their siblings, even if it's only just a short reproof, they sort of start, you know how kids do the rocking from side to side and looking a bit distracted. And it's just, for some reason, it seems like all of a sudden they just really, really need to be somewhere else. And it feels to them like I've been talking for hours when really it was just a minute. And that, that's kind of a little bit how I've felt sometimes as we've been going through this letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. It's, it's, only, a, it's only a short letter comparatively. It's not a huge volume of work, but I tried to imagine how I would feel sitting there if Paul wrote this letter to our church, how uncomfortable would it feel how, how much this short letter would seem so heavy and so today we're coming to Paul's final concluding point before he ends the letter this is the culmination of, of all he's been saying and and pleading with the church in Corinth this will be his last chance to say something to them until he's actually there with them and 
be able to see how they've responded. So let's, let's pray together and ask for God's help to understand his word this morning. Lord, as, as we come to your word this morning, I just pray that you will open our hearts and minds to hear. I pray that we'll learn what it means to be obedient to you, to, to have integrity and, and be complete in our faith. I pray that what I say this morning is true and honours you. Amen. I don't know if there's like a top 10 list somewhere of the most difficult, awkward things to have to do in a church, but I'm pretty sure this would have to be at least in the top three. Have you ever gone to someone in the church and said, look, I'm really, really troubled because the way I see you living your life, even though you call yourself a Christian, the the way you're acting just doesn't seem to match up with your claim." How, how uncomfortable and awkward is that? It's, it's probably so awkward it's, it doesn't seem to be done in a lot of churches today. Maybe a minister or an elder in a, in a solid church has been in that situation. But in my experience growing up in, in a lot of mainstream denominations, that, that would have been unthinkable. And I want to be clear, it's not that I'm talking about, no, you have to you know, do enough things or, or obey enough rules. We know there's, there's nothing that we do to add to our salvation. But I know when I was growing up in churches, as long as you'd said the prayer, you know, the little formulated prayer that, that's written out for you to ask Jesus into your heart, that, that was it. No more questions were asked of you ever. That's all, all the people expected was that you'd at least recited that little prayer once in your life and you were good to go. And then far be it from anyone to question you, to, to expect to be able to see any real tangible signs of being born again of having the holy spirit actually make a change in your life so immediately in the verses that that we read before our passage today paul's just dropped that bomb he's talking about a test looking back on all the sin that that's been going on uh, in the church in corinth and after reproofing them and, and pleading with them throughout his letter paul's saying Guys, this is, this is where the buck stops. Th- th- things are not looking good. Things are not looking healthy. You better test yourselves seriously because despite what you say, you might have fooled yourself and you might not be the real deal. Does, does that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. This, this is serious business. But Paul also trusts and hopes in God that they will be found to pass the test. So what, what's the test result that, that he's hoping and trusting will occur? Verse 7, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. That's, that's the passing test result that, that he wants. They not do wrong. Remember the the TV show Dr. Phil? I don't don't know why. Every time I'm up here, it seems like I'm mentioning Dr. Phil. I don't don't know why. I don't watch the show. I don't recommend you watch the show, but for some reason, there you go. But I I just remember hearing this soundbite of of Dr. Phil saying something to one of his guests. And I'm not good at at American accents, but it, it was something like, I'm going to be real clear with you on that. Stop doing it. And it it sort of makes me laugh. I I don't know what his guest's issue was, but here's this celebrity TV doctor. And 
you know, I don't know, I guess he's a, a qualified psychologist or, or whatever. And for all that, at the end of the show, I mean, the buck stops there. His expert advice was stop doing it. So Paul, after all he's gone through in the, in the letter to them at this point, here's the moment of truth. We pray to God that you may not do wrong. Cynthia, sinning Corinthian church, stop doing it. That's it. If this is real to you, if, if the spirit of Christ is truly in you, if you're going to stand up to the test, stop doing it. Don't continue in sin any longer. Do what is right. How, how do we know that's the, truly the very burden of his heart? Look at his reason. Not so that people will see that we, that's Paul, have stood the test but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. Paul's saying, guys, this this whole time I've been fending off these these terrible things that that you've been saying about me, that I'm no good. You you won't even believe that my authority is from God unless I do some show to prove it to you. Well, you know what? If that's how it has to be, then so be it. I'm willing to look like a failure and be nothing Because in my heart of hearts, I'd just much rather you love and obey God and do what is right. And Paul could have easily come in and proven himself against his critics, but there was a problem with that. If he did, the proof would have been apparent because of the contrast against their sin. So if the Corinthians stopped sinning, then Paul no longer has that opportunity to prove himself against all these false and hurtful things. But he loves the Corinthians and he wants the glory of their obedience to go to God. So he'd rather take a hit to his personal credibility and appear a failure than to prove he's the winner by having to expose them as the loser. Verse 8, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. Guys, if you're doing what's right, if you're living in the light of the truth of the gospel and being obedient to Christ and his claim on your life, then we, we can't do anything to you. Then we are actually weak. We have no strength to leverage against you. And so for Paul, he's glad in his heart that he has no opportunity to disprove the, the charges against him and that he's forever or everyone's going to say, oh, he's, he's weak, because if that's the case, it means that God's church in Corinth is strong and walking in love and obedience to God. How, how do you feel when, when you're accused of, of something falsely? I, I, I know just instantly my, my instincts are just to jump in and want to justify myself and, and sort of you know, regain my pride and my reputation. Paul is an apostle of the church. His authority comes directly from Christ himself. He has every right not to stand for the terrible things that have been said against him. But Paul is following the example of someone else. Someone who had ultimate authority and deserved the highest respect. Someone who was totally blameless and yet who willingly suffered indignity, mocking and in his case punished to death, accused of things for which he was totally blameless. 
not because he was weak, but because he would rather take that on himself rather than the wrath of God rightly fall on us. And though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Our Lord Jesus was fully obedient to God's law, to the point of death, for the glory of God and his love for us. And in John 14, he says to you and me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Is there sin in our lives for the love of our Saviour and Lord? Stop doing it. Stop doing it. That's, that's the very essence of, of sanctification in a, in a nutshell. Christ has given his life for you and redeemed you. Turn away from sin and obey him. Now, each week, Carl gives the, the passage to be preached a, a title. And the original title for today's is Obedience and Integrity in Sanctification. So we've seen the obedience, but what, what's the integrity part? I usually think of the word integrity as, as being honest. But if we're breaking down that word, its base is the word integer. Now, maths wasn't my favourite subject at school, I'll be honest. So I actually forgot this, actually, to be really honest. I don't know if I ever actually learnt it. But apparently, and correct me if I'm wrong, in mathematics an integer means a whole one. It's, it's, a, it's not a broken down fraction of a unit, it's a, it means a complete unit. And continuing in, in verse 9, Paul says, Our prayer is that you may be fully restored. And that word in Greek has the idea of of restoring, completing something back from being broken or separate to being complete. So this idea of restoring or or integrity is about being made whole. If you had broken your leg, you would want to set it so that it would be restored, that it would be complete again. That after your broken leg had regained its integrity, it would be straight and and have strength and would be perfect for the use for which it was intended. So you could walk around again. It's, It's the same idea at the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says, You must therefore you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We hear the word perfect and we think of that as like you know, never sinning like God never sins. And we think, well, that's impossible. Why would Jesus even say that? Well, for me, again, this could just be how my mind works, but but one way of understanding something is to look at its total opposite, (laughs) to compare. So if you you happen to have an interest in systematic theology in your spare time, which I I know you do, uh, there's a term that you've come across called total depravity. And, and it's, a, it's just a title that, to explain the effects that sin has on humanity ever since the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And as a Presbyterian church, we believe that every single man, woman, boy, girl, baby, even before the baby's born, that all of us are affected by total depravity. Are you seeing that for the first time? You'd probably think, you'd probably be shocked and think, what on earth are you talking about? 
Are you saying that I'm you know, totally depraved, like I'm some monster or something, that I'm absolutely running out there and doing the worst sin I can at, at any given moment? No, that's not what we're saying. That, that, that would be if you were utterly depraved. Our, our statement of faith, the Westminster Confession, puts it like this, that because of sin we've become wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of our soul and body. In other words, there, there isn't a single compartment of our body or soul, our, our mind or heart, that has not been contaminated by the effects of sin to, to greater or lesser degrees. So the word total there talks about how much of our body and soul has been contaminated. We aren't contaminated 10% by sin and 90% of us is fine. We aren't contaminated 99% of sin and, and there's only 1% untouched. 100% of every part of our lives has been contaminated by the effects of sin to some degree. So when Paul tells the Corinthians to be restored, to be complete, and Jesus tells us to be perfect, it's not that we're just going to suddenly just never sin again uh, in this life, although that would be nice. It, it's it's Meanings that, that the saving grace of God by, by the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification, there's no longer even one area of our life, no little compartments where we can say, well, you know, things are uh, looking pretty good over there and I've, I've got that under control, but I can, I can just keep this little compartment of, of my life over here locked away in sin. If your leg's broken, you don't fix 10% of it or 90% of it and say, well, that's pretty good, I'm doing pretty good, I'll just keep some of it broken. You want your leg to be fully restored, to be whole, to be perfect in the way that it's meant to work, to have its complete integrity. And that's Paul's prayer to the Corinthians, that they be complete in their integrity that having now obeyed, they'll go on to let that obedience take hold in every aspect of their lives and become finished and whole. And sadly, we still battle the effects of sin throughout this life. And there will be times when we stumble and sin. But it's not a part of us anymore. We don't let it permeate through us and start spreading to all those compartments of our life again. We keep trusting God to change us and make us more and more like Christ, to have more and more of those compartments purged of their sin as we are slowly being restored whole. Verse 10, This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come... I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Paul was away from the church in Corinth at the time, but there was going to be a day when he was there. And his heart for that day would be that he found them repentant, that they'd submitted to Christ in obedience and that they were being completed and restored whole. So what did he find when he visited them? Well, we aren't told, unfortunately. Paul was fully prepared to do what needed to be done and we get a glimpse of what that would have looked like in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It wasn't pretty. But there are some good arguments from what we do know about Paul's ministry uh, recorded in other books to piece together some ideas. And there, there is a likely argument that, in fact, Paul's 
return to the Corinthians was in fact a joyous one. But it raises a question, what, what about us? It's like, like Paul's letters and visits to the Corinthians, this whole book of God's word is also a letter to us. The Lord Jesus has visited us in the past. He came, lowered himself, appeared weak, took upon himself all the punishment of our sin and disobedience and freely gives all who have faith in him his perfect obedience and righteousness before God. But in our present life, there's still this restoring to continue. And just like Paul told the Corinthians, Jesus has also told us that he is coming again. How will he find us when he does come? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do we? Keeping his commandments is the obedience in sanctification, but it's our love and our thankfulness for all that he's done for us that's our motivation in sanctification. I kind of hope that Jesus' words kind of cause your heart to jump a little bit there. They, they do for mine when I think what little love I must be showing to my Saviour and Lord sometimes. I kind of picture uh, at Gethsemane, only a short time before Jesus would be betrayed and handed over to the Romans. And he says to Peter and some of the others, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. But then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Right at, right at the time of his betrayal when Christ was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, knowing that the cross was near, and he'd asked such a small thing of them. Just stay awake with me for a little while. But Peter and the others couldn't manage the temptation not to take a snooze and, and show enough obedience just to give even that little token of their love to their Lord at such a painful time for him. And to be honest, I, I don't accuse them because I, I know in my heart of hearts, if, if I was there, I would have been just like Peter and the others because in my flesh, obedience was too much effort to give up a snooze while our Lord gave up his life. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let's pray. Father, we, we admit that we're sinners. We know that apart from your grace, there's nothing we deserve except your justice and punishment. We thank you that our Lord Jesus perfectly obeyed your law on our behalf. We thank you that he willingly was crucified on a cross for our punishment. Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to your word. We are weak in our flesh, but we ask you to strengthen us that we'll stop letting sin live in locked away compartments of our lives, that by your Holy Spirit you would make us whole and complete. We pray that, that we desire to, to show our love and thankfulness for all that Christ has done for us by obeying his commands. In his name we pray. Amen.